Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Overrun. My name is Dan Schwester. Uh, I have a special guest today. Uh, we're going to talk about an organization that you may have seen around, um, especially in major cities across the U.S., uh, maybe in your own response areas um, that not a, not a lot of people understand. And um, we want you to understand it because it's a really great organization with a lot of history behind it. Um, I'm here with my uh, good friend, Sim Shane. Uh, Sim is a longtime paramedic and a volunteer and a member of the Hatsola EMS organization. So Sim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's great. Um, we've been trying to do this for a little while. Um, I've always been very interested in it. Um, it's something, it's something that I I, I really do want to learn about. So, um, and I know that there's a lot of people out there who are not sure of the mission or what the history is behind it. So Sim, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the story. So, hi, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, we've, gone, we've gone back a long time. Um, I started my EMS career in uh, 1993 when I joined the local first aid squad in New Jersey called Hell First Aid. I had this dream since I was a child. I think when I saw my dad. So I think when I was seven or eight years old my dad was a member of the local first aid squad first started lincoln first aid and then he joined on when that solo first started in the state of new jersey he joined there as a member and i think when i was eight years old is when i decided that's what i really want to do and i used to see my dad leave our home and uh leave 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 his work and leave anything that was important because the most important thing was was always to save a life and i said you know what i'm going to do that and then in uh, the beginning of 1993 i said you know what I think I'm going to do it right now. And I reached out to Hal First Aid, which is a neighboring town to uh, Lakewood, where I live. And I said, I'm ready to do it. And I think I, I probably joined the EMT uh, course in the next two weeks. And I think in June of, two, of 1993, I became a, I became a, an EMT. And then uh, I joined Hot Soul in uh, 1996. I got my life certificate, my life, uh, my lifetime membership in Howell in, in 2000. So my career has been EMS for for over you know greater than fifty percent of my life. That's for sure, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change it or exchange it for anything in the world. Yeah, you've uh, you've definitely been around and done some stuff, and uh, you're also into uh, fixed wing uh, aviation EMS too, right? Uh, with uh, your organization, Powerflight. That's absolutely correct. So in two thousand and five, uh, I was involved in the first uh, in, in in my paramedic course in two thousand and seven. I became a paramedic, and in 2008, uh, I was a co-founder of currently the only volunteer paramedic program in the state of New Jersey. I got involved with a special camp called Camp Simcha. I became a paramedic there as well, and I got involved in flight in around 2008 or so, uh, mostly in the mostly in the charity uh, department. Um, I had a very close friend. His name was uh, Steve Zakheim. Steve actually owned his own. His own private jet. He had a, had a Lear 31, and he was a philanthropist, and he was very, very generous to try to really help people. And he was, he was my mentor. He was really my mentor in, in trying to give back. Mm -hmm. And what Steve had done was he actually took his Lear jet that he used for his own business, and he put in a stretcher and oxygen in there, and he would send me and others around the country and around the world in, in bigger jets to try to make a difference, to try to do something for others. And he would say, you know, and, and unfortunately he got sick. So Steve owned at some point, the, I believe the largest ambulance company in New York state and uh, at nine 11, I believe he lost 14 of his personnel along with the others who were lost there too. Um, and he just, and he, he ended up spending over 30 days at ground zero during the cleanup. 
and he ended up getting sick. He developed leukemia mm. and Steve passed away. Steve got sick in 2012 and he passed away in 2013. And I remember sometime before, maybe it was about two months before he passed away, he called me into his room in Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City. And he called me in and he said, hey, I want you to take my jet. And I said, what do you mean take your jet? What does that mean? He said, I want you to take my jet and I want you to open up an air ambulance company. And I want you to really make a difference. You know, you love what you do. And as we all know, right, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And he said, take my jet and I wanted to open a company. And shortly thereafter, he passed away. And I didn't take his jet because it was way too much for me, you know, to, to take the undertake the responsibility of, of managing a jet. But soon after he passed away, I opened up, we opened up our organization. And there were some hiccups along the way, but thankfully everything, everything worked out and everything works out for a reason. And, we ne- and he always told me, never forget the charity component. And I would tell you that probably 50% of what we do 50% of what we do is charity. We try to really make a difference. We try to make a difference in, in, in many people's lives. And uh, we've really expanded on the organ transplant division, which has been our focus. And I'll just tell you that Steve didn't actually die from the cancer. He died from the, the damage caused to his lungs by the chemotherapy. And I yeah. uh, had another young friend who passed away as well from who was waiting for a lung transplant. And I made it my mission to really try to make a difference, to try to really try to help people who need who need vital organs to be able to live. And of course, we still do our, our ambulance, our medical escorts, and we have a corporate division as well. But throughout it all, I've been a uh, Hatsola, Hatsola paramedic. I'm a, uh, as a volunteer, I'm, I joined Hatsola of Central, well, was then Lakewood, now is Central Jersey. Um, in 1996, March of 1996. So I just passed my 25 year mark. Wow. And then I joined other hot solas as well. Um, I joined New York hot Sola in 1998. I'm still currently a, a member there. I joined uh, United hot Sola in Israel, which is the largest EMS organization, I believe in, in the world, over 6,000 volunteers. And then about six years ago, I was involved in the founding of what's called hot Sola statewide which took Hatsola members from many different organizations and said, hey, you know, if we have members of our community who are, or, or anywhere who are driving around the roads, you know, if something happens, maybe we can put all these people together and somehow we can make a difference. So if they have a medical emergency somewhere, um, we, can, we can come out and help them as well. So this is one, this is one of the interesting things that we want to talk about with the response model when we talk about Hatsola. But um, Let's start with the organization itself. And it's not one organization. It's a whole network of organizations all under the same name, right? Correct. So I guess we would call them sister organizations. So okay. I'll tell you a little bit of the background as I understand it, of course. Yeah, definitely. Tell, before- tell us where it started. Tell us the history of it. Who, who are, the, who are the, the founders of this and how did it take off? So it started, I believe, in the middle to late 60s. I heard either 1965 or 1968. It started in Brooklyn, New York, in a community called Williamsburg, which is a largely Hasidic community. And it was started by a man named Rabbi Herschel Weber. Um, Rabbi Weber had observed someone who had, uh, apparently, from what I've read, had an MI, um, passed out. They were waiting for EMS to show up. You talk about in in the middle to late 60s took a while for people to show. By the time they showed up, the patient had gone into cardiac arrest and the patient ultimately passed away. This was, I believe, before they even had the concept of EMTs or, or definitely paramedics. And he didn't know what to do. So the only thing people knew then 
was oxygen, right? If somebody was sick, you gave them oxygen. I think, Dan, even when we started our careers, right? We always used to say oxygen can't <laughs> hurt anybody, right? My, yeah. has, how that has evolved over the years. So he didn't know what to do. So he said, hey, he's going to go reach out to a bunch of people and he's going to get oxygen. Just an interesting note it was actually uh, a number of years ago, I found that it was actually my brother-in-law's dad. Um, his name was Mr. Uh, Israel Lefkowitz, who actually owned nursing homes in New York City. And he was the one who actually uh, apparently gave them I think 20 oxygen tanks, because that's all they knew. If somebody is sick, you give them oxygen. Right. So start off in Williamsburg. I'm not sure where the next communities afterwards were, but they were in New York City. I had heard Crown Heights and then uh, the flopper section of Brooklyn. And then I know it went into Washington Heights, which is part of Manhattan. The organization that I'm involved in, in, in Lakewood or Central Jersey, started in 1981. So they they took, uh, I believe, seven guys, and they put them through the system. My dad was actually from the founding seven members who I joined. So he was part of a local first aid squad called Lake of First Aid, and then he transitioned over into Hatsola when they started in, in 1981. Okay, so why the name Hatsola? What does it mean? Hatsola, the word in Hebrew means rescue. Okay, that makes total sense. Uh, right. I've noticed different spellings. Is Do different spellings have different meanings, or is it just local variations because I, I see it sometimes spelled with an o sometimes with an a it's it's a minor thing but i i'm just trying to learn so 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 every hot solo who's open believes that their spelling is the correct but it's all based on <laughs> it, it's all based on the hebrew spelling okay the hebrew spelling is four letters that spells okay. hot solos and then again new york i believe some parts in Europe spell it h-a-t-z-o-l-o-h and i know us in lakewood spell it uh, O-L-A-H. And then all the organizations around the world might spell it H-A-T-Z-A-L-A-H, but it all means the same thing. It's all about saving lives. And I know you had mentioned their organization. It's not, it's not just around the country. It's really around the world. Yeah, it's a, huge, is, it's a huge organization. Right. So if you look around, just I'll tell you that I believe in New York State, where I'm a member, I'm a member of the Castos Division. I used to be a member of a Flappers Division, which is in Brooklyn, uh, as I worked there for a number of years. But I would say New York City itself probably has somewhere in the area of about 1,500 volunteers, EMTs, paramedics, and physicians. Um, New York, New Jersey, I believe, is currently up to nine divisions of, of Hatsola. And then you can see them all over the country. So Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Miami, South Florida, Detroit, uh, Houston, Texas, and, and many, many others. And then, of course, around the world. So you can go Israel, as I mentioned before, United Hatsola, where I'm actually a paramedic as well, is uh, the largest, I believe, in the world volunteer organization. They have over 6,000 volunteers, over 6,000. That's a huge number. And then you can go into, you know, Belgium, uh, London has a few divisions, and you can read South Africa, both in Cape Town and Johannesburg. And I've, I've been to many of these places, and it's really, it's really uh, life-changing. So there's organizations all over the world. Again, it's not run by the same organization. They're all, I don't want to call them branches. But we call them sister organizations and we all feed off each other. You know, we educate, we, we, you know, we, we learn a lot from what other organizations do and really try to learn from everyone. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Um, you, you hear so many times in other um branches of EMS where, you know, this agency, we don't talk to these guys or, you know, this squad works with this squad, but we don't work with that squad or, um, you know, Hey, we work for these guys. We don't like those guys. Um, this is, 
this is almost the opposite. It's almost like it's just organic. Like if you're a Hatzola member, you're a Hatzola member and you just, it just flows. Like it just seems like it flows. If one division needs something, they call another division and they get the resources they need. Um, is that kind of how it works? Is it just, it, it is. And you'd be amazed at how it works with some organizations. I will tell you that last week alone, last Tuesday night, I was actually in Miami Beach and uh, I volunteered there as well when I'm there. And I was literally sitting in Miami Beach and I was walking to a restaurant to go meet a friend of mine and my phone rings. And it was from a close friend of mine who's one of the coordinators out in South Florida. And he said, where are you right now? And I, I told him the location I was in. He said, we have a call for a burn, literally, you know, a half a block from where you are right now you know, can you go check it out? That's what I did. I first responded. I didn't have any equipment with me, you know, and the backup unit came probably around five or 10 minutes later, but it was in a hotel and my friend knew I was there. And when it's all about saving lives, you know, there's no divisions. We're all in it together. And it's not just with Hatsola. It works with all EMS organizations. We work very, very well. And sometimes there might be a little bit of a misunderstanding of how we work, but we network, we work with everybody. It's all about one mission. And that mission is to save lives and to make a difference. And nothing else really matters because if your focus is on just that, then you can really make a difference. That's a good point. Talk to me about this response model because I think it's, it is it is bananas for somebody to be sitting there like in me and my traditional, you know, in my EMS world, like I go to work, I got my radio, I get called, I go to the call. It's usually me, my partner and a BLS unit, maybe a supervisor and that's it. Um, the response model for Hatzola is very, very unique, and it seems that that can cause a lot of confusion to people who are not familiar with the organization. How did that happen? How did they get how How do they know you're in Miami Beach? How do they know that you're around the corner? And like, how does this work? <laughs> so let me show you. So I'm going to pull this right off my belt. So this is a radio that I carry with me 24 seven. We don't have crews. We are all on 24-7. When your radio is on, you're available. Um, the concept of volunteerism in our community is something that's that's glorified. Okay. When people walk around, I know in some communities they might say, hey, you know, when I grow older, I want to be a police officer, right? In our community, you know, it's all about saving lives. If you ask a kid, hey, what do you want to be when you grow older? And they're not going to tell you, hey, I want to be a real estate mogul, or I want to own Amazon, right? I want to be the next Elon Musk. You know what many of them will say? I would say probably 90% will say, I want to be a hot solo member. I want to carry around a radio. I don't have equipment in my car and I want to save lives. That's really all I want to do. And of course we have businesses and everything else we do. I'm currently in my office right now, mm -hmm. but when our radios are on, we drop everything. And I saw that as a young child with my dad, where it didn't matter what was going on when it comes time to save a life. So, you know, no duty crews and no, you know, no set times when you're on and you're off, you know, of course there's, there's times that we're just not available to go, but right. for the most part, our radio is with us and we're ready to go. And as far as our model goes, so many, again, it's a shame that volunteerism has really, has really declined, you know, in all over the United States and probably all over the world over the last number of years. But the reality is that in, in our communities, we've really pushed for volunteerism. And it's not just in the hot soul. There's many different organizations that we have in our town. Great, over 100 organizations of volunteerism 
in our in our town, helping people with anything from being able to put, you know, food on their plate, volunteers at their homes for, for you know, for widows and, and orphans. Um, we have a volunteer organization that helps out, you know, for people who's, who's uh, you know, who need a boost, who need a tire change or anything else like that. You know, and volunteer community patrols. It's all about volunteerism. It's about what we give. It's about what we give back, you know, what we give back. Because the reality is at the end of our days, right, when we cash our chips in, we don't get to take anything with us. We don't get to take our cars, motorcycles, helicopters, jets, homes, or anything else. It's only our good deeds that we get to take with us. So as far as the model of how hot solar works a bit different than others so when i joined the local first aid squad in in uh in 1993 our response model was you respond to the building and then you get into the ambulance and the crew themselves goes out and run and what that does is um it's great but uh, it just takes a while for people to get there so the solar model is hey why don't we outfit all of our members with with oxygen trauma equipment uh, AEDs, defibrillators, and we'll give them a two-way radio system. And now the response model goes from, I don't know what it is around the country, but even if it's seven or eight minutes, our response model is 90 seconds to two minutes. You know, So when, when we identify, we're responding to a call, we actually identify as to where we're responding from. So I work in a local right. industrial park here, you know, and if there's a call that goes off even a mile from where I am, where my whole drive time might be two or three minutes, there might be two people who are a bit closer to me and they're going to take that call. And that's how and that's how the system is set up. So we'll send two, you know, generally on again, if it's a minor call, I might only get one or two units to go there. We don't need a full crew. But if it's something that might require an ambulance. So what the way our the squads are set up is they'll set. You know, a, a BLS unit, a backup BLS unit, a unit for an ambulance. And then if ALS is required, now they'll send two ALS units and somebody to bring in the state of New Jersey, at least, because you have to have a licensed vehicle there. They'll bring the ALS vehicle as well. Okay. So when you refer to a unit, when you guys are talking about units, a unit is an individual responder. That's correct. So I think in, in okay. central New Jersey, where I'm, I think we have about when I joined, that was the 20th unit on the organization. That was in 1996. I believe we're up to about 150 units right now. And currently we cover Lakewood, you know, Lakewood, Jackson, Tom's River, Brick. And I think we're actually expanding into uh, into Manchester right now as, as the community expands. Wow. Um, so service is very important, obviously, to people in the Orthodox Jewish faith, right? And for the Hasidic right. community. Um, it's, it's really a core part of what you believe in. Right. Okay. Um, so this response model is unique and I can imagine in a, in a cardiac arrest or a time sensitive emergency, um, have you guys studied this Are your times to defibrillation or your, your ROSC rates? Do you guys do any research or are you guys, I, I guess what we're, I guess what I'm going to say is like, there's skeptical people out there that are going to say, well, that's great. You can get 10 people there in two minutes, but does it make a difference? Anecdotally, I could say it probably does. Obviously we know the quicker that somebody's defibrillated, better chance of survival, obviously quicker bleedings controlled, better chance of survival. Um, do you do research? So I don't know that we do research and studies, but I can just tell you, and, and I concur with what you just said right now, right? It's all about getting to the patient quickly, right? So somebody who's in who's in cardiac arrest, right? To say, hey, we might wait, wait seven or 10 minutes for somebody to come there. You probably missed that window of defibrillation. I believe 
to that our defibrillation rate is much higher, as well as our, our ROSC rate. And that would be with any community, mm-hmm. any place that has, if you have a police officer running around with an AED, right, why do we give it to them? Because they're there relatively quickly. So sure. if an, a police officer can get there before the ambulance or the paramedic or anybody else, and they can initiate CPR, they could really make, you know, make a huge difference. And I, I believe our model works well, works very, very well. And, you know, again, the way other systems are set up, they don't really have much of an option. You know, I can tell you that we have a waiting list. We have a waiting list of over 100 people who are trying to get our onto our organization, you know, and our goal is to be able to expand and to do it organically. Because you can't just bring on everybody because we have to make sure we have calls for them to handle. I want to make sure that they're, they're in an area that we need coverage in. You know, but Hatsola is expanding. And it's not just here in, in our town that we're in, but it, it's everywhere. It's everywhere around the, around the world. You know, when Hatsola, when Hatsola, United Hatsola, United Rescue, founded by Eli Beer, started in, uh, in Israel, um, he started off with, with a handful of members. And now he's up to over 6,000. You know, and, and I think that that rapid response, I don't think there's anybody who could say that a rapid response doesn't make a significant, a significant difference. No, I, I think you're right. I think that I think if we did study it, I think it would bear that out in especially in certain circumstances. Um, I, I have read some stuff about Israel, about mass casualties from uh, terrorist attacks and um, the ability to surge a bunch of trained medics and EMTs into an area, um, the times on scene and the times more to the point, getting people off the scene and going to the trauma centers, really, really interesting stuff. Absolutely correct. Cool. Um, so that's, that's the response area. So that's the response model. Um, does it cause confusion? Does it ever cause confusion when people, you know, like I, I I'm, I've got my flow, right? I mean, you know me, like I, I do my things and I like how my stuff is and I work with my partner and I've got my little things. Does that, does that throw you off when you have five or six, maybe you'll have five or six people coming into the call at the same time, or is it just something you're all, you're all comfortable with it? So if you think about it, when you respond, you Dan, as a paramedic, when you respond to a call, you probably have five or six people there too. Now you're coming with your paramedic partner but chances are you have the BLS crew who was there before, and that's usually at least a crew of two, mm-hmm. unless one of their supervisors show up, then you have three, and you might have two police officers there. We do a lot, tremendous amount of training together, and we know each other. Yeah, my paramedic partner might be at, you know, at one o'clock in the afternoon, might be, you know, one person, and then the next call that comes off might be another person. But the reality is we work together with everybody, and it doesn't have to just be hot solo members. You know, we can show up at an MVA and where you have, you know, 911, the 911 system is there. And we work with them too. I myself as a per diem, as a per diem paramedic for the 911 system. Right. And we network, we really work very, very well with all our local communities. So all local EMS organizations, police departments, firefighters, I think maybe in the beginning, maybe going back, I don't know, 30 years, 35 years, they didn't really understand how we work. But when they realized that we have one common goal, we're all in this together. We just want to make a difference to be able to help those patients out. We work very, very well together. Well, you know, when it's, when it's put that way, that makes sense. Um, you know, it's, I think sometimes we get stuck in our own ways or we, we like things a certain way and it, it's just, the flexibility is interesting. Um, it's definitely, yeah, but you're right. You know, you walk in on a call, there's five or six people there, no matter what it's like, you don't get to choose. Um, 
let's let's talk a little bit about the requirements for somebody to join Hatzola because you have a waiting list. I mean, what do you have to be like? I, I've heard different things. I'm not sure what the truth is. So I'm going to you. So, <laughs> what do you have to do? How do you get? How do you get involved? So it, it's interesting. Again, it's it's hard for me to remember what I was. You know what I had to. You know where I had to be when I joined 25 years ago. But I will tell you that every community sets up their own protocols and their own procedures for what they're looking for, okay? So generally they're looking for people who are settled down, okay? Who are settled in their ways because they're not looking, you know, in some organizations there might be a quick turnover rate. I'll say our turnover rate is so minute. When I tell you so minute, Mm. I would tell you that, I mentioned before that when I joined, I believe I was the 20th member, and now we're up to 150 members. Um, I, I can't even think of, I could think of three three or four members over the years who are not members anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And two of them moved out of town and one of them got busy and one of them passed away. But that's really it. We have a very, very low and slow turnover rate because Hatsol is looking for people who are set and they're established. So it's it's in, in our community itself. You have to be you have to be married um, because they know at that point you're settled and hopefully hopefully more responsible and more sensitive to others. But that you're settled, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody you know is, says, "Hey, I'm not sure what my schedule is going to be," it's probably not a great. They're probably not a great addition for the organization. But if they say, "Hey, this is what I do. I work. I'm in the center of town, or I'm part of an area that doesn't have coverage." And I live in this area. So by then either they, you know, they're renting a house or they bought a home, but they own their business or they're a set and they're established so that the time and the energy and the money that's put into them as well really goes a long way because now you have a memory. Again, as I mentioned before, I'm off for 25 years. There are people on significantly longer than me. Imagine that there are volunteers who are on 35 and 40 years. We just hit our 40th year. We're open since 1981. There's at least, well, there's at least 18 or 19 people on longer than me, you know, and people are in it for the long haul, not three years or five years. We don't have a, we don't have a life status where after seven years you get your status. It's just, it's just what you're on. Yeah. It's just there. It's just out there. And there's a sensitivity towards certain parts of our religion you know, we speak, uh, I speak multiple languages. I speak, uh, yeah, go, I speak Sim, English. Sure. I'm going, going to that because that's really interesting. And I think that's the part that people don't get, um, that there are cultural sensitivities here that are really hard for people not in the community to understand. So go into that a little bit. Sure. I'll be happy to address that. So, so there are numerous parts, to, numerous components to how the organization works and what we offer as uh, as part of our services. So there are many people in our communities, and even now as the community has expanded in our community, there are people who their primary language is Yiddish or Jewish, right? So I would say most of our members do speak that. There are people who only speak Hebrew, uh, and they're more comfortable with somebody of their community who's going to be addressing them. There's also cultural sensitivities. There's a, there's a tremendous a separation between genders, you know, so how you treat others. And there's also, um, there's also uh, things that we wear, you know, garments, you know, and there's a certain sensitivity that we wouldn't just take. Although we say when there's a trauma, you need to access somebody, you're just going to cut through all their clothing. 
but people wear certain religious garments and we'll do our best to make sure that we protect those garments. Give me an example. I'll give you an example. Sure. I'm going to show it to you. Okay. okay. I'm wearing a garment under my clothes right now under my shirt. Right. And it's called, it's a four cornered garment and it has strings on each side. Right. Now you might say, Hey, if we got to expose them, right. We're just going to cut right through it. But we'll just try to slide it over their head is what we're going to try to do. Um, women who are married will cover their hair either with a head covering or with a uh, with a head covering or with a or with a wig. Right. And we'll make sure to protect that. So a married woman covers her hair and the only one who get, who sees her hair after that is her husband. Right. So we make sure that we protect that. So even if her head covering, you know, flies off during a trauma, a car accident or something else like that, we'll make sure to protect that. We actually have some of those head coverings in every one of our ambulances so we can cover wow. them so they don't, they don't feel, you know, vulnerable or anything else like that. Um, many things like that. And I will also tell you something interesting that we don't really walk around with uniforms, right? If you notice, right, this is my uniform, right? right. I wear a suit wherever I go. That's <laughs> what I do. You'll see a lot of guys in our community with white shirts and black pants. We don't really wear, we don't, really wear uniforms and it's interesting to know that we deal with a tremendous amount of people who have gone through the holocaust and some of them are very scared of uniforms they really are and it's not it's not in our department to get up there and say well you should understand this is you know and, and we're very sensitive to that we're very sensitive to every component of everything that goes on there and we do our best to mitigate their fears that i did not take into account that is that is pretty stunning um right. And, you know, that's just another argument. My personal thing, I, I hate uniforms, but <laughs> I've always been jealous. I, I'm always jealous. Right. I see you yeah. wearing a shirt, you know, I'm like, ah. Right, yeah. um, right. So, okay. So cultural differences. So a big part of in the Orthodox part of uh, the Orthodox faith is Shabbos and doing work on Shabbos. Um, am I saying that right? Yes. Perfect. Okay. Most um, people miss that. Um, how do you guys get around that? So it's from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, um, but MIs don't stop, accidents don't stop, things don't happen. How does this work? Well, first I'm going to correct you. You're correct that it's from sundown Friday and actually goes to an hour after sundown on Saturday. And you're right. MIs nope, don't sorry stop about and that. traumas don't stop. That's okay. Uh, MIs don't stop and traumas don't stop. But there's something that's really set in, in, in our religion. And that is that life trumps everything. Okay. Saving of lives trump everything. So what do we do? How do we get around it? So when it comes to actual saving a life, so dispatching, which I do as well. So a call comes in and now those dispatchers might take a little bit of a, uh, a step forward when it comes to dispatching on Sabbath. And not just Sabbath, it's also Jewish holidays as well. We have a, quite a bit of Jewish holidays throughout the year. And what they'll do is they, you know, maybe during the week they might send, you know, two members here, they might just send one to evaluate, but for the emergency itself, everything lets go. So we get into our cars, we drive and we get there. The question is what happens after the emergency is over? Now it's back to Shabbos again. What, how do you deal with that? So Hatzola actually pays. We have Shabbos personnel, Shabbos drivers, people who are non-Jewish. And after that call, they will drive us back. If there are calls that are considered non-emergent, there are some calls that we'll have that just might be just a minor 
a minor trauma, and it's probably not even going to go to a hospital, doesn't require anything further. So our dispatchers will triage that call. There might be some points that they might say, hey, this doesn't require what we'll call a desecration of the Sabbath. And what we'll do is we'll actually send one of the non-Jewish personnel. I don't even know what the number is, but I would say we probably have upwards of 10 Shabbos personnel. It's a tremendous amount of, uh, of funds that the community puts together um, to help save lives. And they'll send the personnel out to go pick up a member and they'll go to that call and they'll treat that patient. So the next question for me is, well, one of the misconceptions I want to, I want to lay down is you, you've made the point that life trumps everything. Um, a common misconception is that Hatzola will only treat somebody from their community that they don't take care of anybody outside of the community. That's an absolute misconception. That's a misconception. We treat anybody who anybody who calls, we respond to. There's That's, never been a call that we've said that we won't respond to. Anybody who calls, we respond. To. Yeah. And and you don't have you're not in 911. You have your own number in your own dispatch center. So anybody can call that number, ask for help and get you guys on scene. Correct. So we as in every every uh every hat solo organization has their own number, has their own number that they market and they send out to their community who they, who we primarily service. We primarily service our communities. And, uh, but people call police departments call when they need help when they need backup. We've, uh, we provide mutual aid to our local, you know, local communities, both in a BLS and ALS capacity when, when needed. But yeah, we have never turned down a call to anybody who has called ever. Good to get that out there. How does this all get paid for? <laughs> you guys have this banging system. You have all this stuff. I've seen the back of your car. <laughs> How does this all work? <laughs> so, so our community at large is is, is very charitable. Um, we do get some money uh, reimbursed from insurances. Um, it probably, if I had to guess, it probably maybe covers twenty or thirty percent of our budget. But uh, there are people who really give, they take, they reach into their pockets, both personal and businesses who donate ambulances, who donate equipment, who donate life packs. Um, there's actually, there's actually a, a, an, an oxygen supply organization in our town who has supplied the oxygen to Atsola since its inception. Can you imagine the value of a company that's given 40 years of oxygen? Now, 40 years of oxygen is not... 40 years of providing it to the ambulances. Understand that every one of our Hatsola members, 150 and counting, every one of our ambulances, I think we're up to 12 or 13 just in our, our community alone. Every single bit is covered by our community. We do fundraisers and there are people who just give. We had a, you know, we've had, you know, calls in the past where lives were saved and families said, hey, what can I do to help? And they'll write a check. A check for an ambulance is, is, is nothing easy to write but they do it. And our, it's our communities. And it's not just here in the town that we're in. It's our communities all over the world that give money, you know, because they want to be, make a difference. You know, we say someone who saves a life is like they save a whole world. So they partner with us. That's what they do. And they do that by, by writing checks and we volunteer our time, right? So we give of our time and they give up their money to be able to help us, but it requires a tremendous amount of money for any hustle, any organization, to be able to run. We don't get anything from our uh, from the municipalities and the townships that we service. So we go out to our community and we say, hey, we're here with you. We're here. Let's partner together and let's save lives. So 
how do you do medical direction? Do you have a medical director? So, yeah, yeah, sure. We have a medical director. Every hot solar has a medical director. Okay. Um, that that goes in, and we have we have training. Uh, I believe every every month at least we have training for BLS. Our training through ALS comes through the, the hospital systems that we work with. But we have you know CMEs. People go through the EMT courses, and everything works under under medical direction. We have a hundred percent QA review on every one of our charts. And it's not just for us. Every hot solo organization has its own medical director or directors that cover each division. Okay. So you've got board certified physicians overlooking this. You've got a training program. You've got this whole system set up. Sure. ER physicians covering us. We have cardi on our medical board itself. We have, uh, I believe two ER physicians, a cardiologist, uh, and some other physicians as well. Interesting. Anything else you want to tell us? Anything that you think we should know about this organization that hasn't been said? Nothing that I can think of, but I always tell people, you know, in life, you know, in every place, everyone can open their own hot solo. Anybody, it doesn't have to be called hot solo, but every community can have a, a, a volunteer, even if it's just a first response program, even if somebody can create a first response program that stabilizes those emergencies, you know, until, until now and one gets there, we can all make a difference. That's really what it's all about. How many people do we know that are EMTs, that are paramedics, right? They could be police officers, firefighters, right? Who live in communities, set up, set up organizations to come there, get your people equipment. All you need is oxygen, trauma, and a defibrillator. Mm-hmm. It makes such a huge difference. And that, So it's not limited. It's not limited. It's not to the Jewish community. It's not to anything. It's any community in the country and in the world. Take it upon yourselves. You're not stepping on anybody's toes. It's all about saving lives. Get equipment. Get a radio system. Even to, in today's day and age, you can communicate over cell phones. They have so many different programs. I will tell you, even our statewide solar system works mm-hmm. over Zello. It's a free program. It's a free program. Save lives, right? They opened it in Jersey City, I believe, has one of these uh, United Rescue programs that started yeah. in Israel, right? Yeah. They have that. It's first response. They train people, come in and do it. They're trying to do that all over the world. So any person can do it. It's all with anybody who wants to save a life can go ahead and do it. That's a great place to end it. Yeah, anybody can do this if you if you have the wherewithal and you want to actually help people. Correct. Uh, Sim, thanks for coming in and Thank talking you. with us and uh, explaining this part of our EMS system a little bit better. Uh, I know I learned some stuff. Um, I'm glad I didn't flub things up too much. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, great having you on and uh, would love to have you on again in the future. Yes. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Sim. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.